get them to answer questions like do you put pineapple on pizza like do you call it a dressing gown or a house coat and like based on the answers I could then decide who I was going to kill Welcome to episode 22 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald, and this is another one of those episodes where I talk about something with my pal. Today's guest is Kenny Carmichael. He's about to qualify as a lawyer, and this episode is entirely focused around the law. We talk about various misconceptions when it comes to the law in the UK. Kenny and I previously shared their annoyance at people thinking criminal defence lawyers were nothing but evil people who have no sympathy for victims and their families. I'm not saying they're all wonderful souls, but there's far more nuance to them and the concept as a whole than is generally realised. They're an integral part of the justice system and essential for ensuring that justice is provided to the people who need it. We also talk about social media, freedom of speech. Has the culture of offence gone too far? Has it not gone far enough? Who dictates the line of acceptability and how should it be enforced? We also talk about how much in general social media busts your head I use it all the time but it is exhausting the pedo hunters phenomenon came up I expressed my disdain for it and the people who do it not because I'm a big fan of pedos I can assure you I'm not (laughs) but those people infuriate me for a number of reasons predominantly because they compromise trials and conviction rates are lower than they could or should be I think now, if they truly cared, they would pass their evidence to the police, not stream it on Facebook and then boast and get a buzz about their number of views and likes and shares. So we chatted about that. We talk about funny stories from courtrooms and even about one of the many weirdos who used my pictures on Tinder and how the police caught him and how then it was hard to actually um, get any sort of convic- like conviction or charge against the guy because the laws haven't updated. You know, the laws are a bit archaic when it comes to technology, quite interesting and it was a generally interesting and at times funny conversation so I'm going to give it a listen as I've previously mentioned we'll be discussing this episode on my Flick chat group, it's a free app and the users have been growing each month so, yeah, sorry each week so we, uh, with more users comes better patter, uh, there's a lot of interesting chat and it's a good way to connect with people particularly on topics related to gambling, mental health and a few other heavier subjects because people have asked to speak to previous guests and it's been good for that so the link will be on Twitter or just give me give me a shout and I'll share it with you last thing if you like this podcast tell somebody about it we all like a good podcast recommendation cheers objection is that how you do it (laughs) can leave you on now. Alright, tell you what, I've explained who you are in the intro and stuff, but would you like to introduce yourself from the standpoint of who you are professionally? Well, first of all, I'll say I'm, I'm not yet a fully qualified solicitor. Um, I've just recently completed a diploma in professional legal practice, uh, and before that I've done my law degree, uh, and I have 10 years experience working in a commercial law firm. So, I'm approaching this just from a 
purely from an academic standpoint. I've recently studied law, and it's just generally my interest and, and passion. Magic. So this episode has come about because we discussed a particular case, which we'll look at. We'll, we'll, that'll probably come up, and we started talking about the the morality of like being a criminal defence lawyer you know and a lot of the misconceptions that people have so we obviously thought it would be interesting to discuss that and to sort of discuss it dissect it analyse it and sort of I don't know maybe educate people and educate myself because I've got a a basic understanding but obviously you have a more forensic understanding than me Um, so it'd be quite interesting if I can ask you some questions and bring up some of these points um, and, and you know we then take it from there so I suppose the first thing I would ask is I think it's a lot of the questions on, or one of the questions that's very prominent in people's minds. What do you say to someone, you know, if it comes up, say, at a party or you meet somebody for the first time and you're a criminal lawyer and they say to you, how could you possibly defend a murderer or a rapist, for example? You know, what would your response be? Well, I do get asked this all the time uh, and I'm sure anyone else who studied law would would say that they get asked this all the time it's one of the first questions people ask is could you defend a murderer or could you defend a rapist Uh, my answer to that would be that everyone has human rights uh, and that human rights are equal to everyone Um, it comes from the the article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights which is adopted into our law through the Human Rights Act uh, and that says and it provides that everyone has the right to a fair and public trial. Uh, everyone charged with a criminal offence is presumed innocent until proven guilty. And amongst other things, everyone has the right to legal assistance. And if they can't afford legal assistance, then it will be provided for them. Uh, and there's others, there's others in there. There's other rights in there in Article Six. Um, things like your, the right to an interpreter. Um, but they are the, they are the main ones that you focus on. So everyone's got that right. And you are providing a service to the public and helping people exercise those human rights. So what's the primary responsibility of a criminal lawyer? Because people tend to misinterpret it as being to get the accused off. But there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? I mean, talk to me about the responsibilities and you know the moral societal obligations. Well, the way I would the way I would say I look at it is the, the justice system and the, the judiciary the judiciary is a machine and you're part of the machine so the people are part of the machine the victims the accused the police the procurator fiscal uh, the judiciary itself the judge the jury it's all one big machine and you need every single part of that to be working to, to help it function and you're basically basically playing a part in that and your part is to you collect evidence. You 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 speak to your client. Um, you look at the the police's and the procurator fiscal's case. Do does your client's version of events match up with theirs? Is there any differences? Um, you're there to basically ensure that all parts of that machine are working properly. And when I say that, I mean, and that's an analogy, but I mean put it into real time. Everyone's not overstepping the mark. The police are using their powers correctly. Although, you know, has 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 the warrant been uh, mm-hmm. issued by the the the, the, the sheriff correctly? Uh, and there's been no over 
depth of powers. Um, so you're there to, to kind of act as a buffer between and and sort of acting a balance in that. You're balancing up because that's essentially what it is. It's the crown against a person, and you think about the resources that the crown have at their disposal. You're there to act and to to sort of level the playing field. So, if one part of that machine wasn't operating. Um, within the within the border within the perimeters or the parameters of power that they should have let's just yeah. say the police have overstepped them up the procurator fiscal has done something wrong would that then be a grounds to have a case maybe collapse as a result of a mistrial or you know do you know what I'm kind of trying to get at yeah uh, well I think people always say that or you know if there's some sort of Technical reason why a case has collapsed, and they will say, "Oh, I got off on a technicality or whatever." But see those technical issues; they are still law. There's, mm-hmm. there's law there in place, laws on evidence. That that's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if if you are representing someone and there has been some mishap in the in the investigation or in the, the PF putting together their case, then it's your duty to to highlight that. And if I've seen I've seen cases collapse. I've seen as part of my studies, we went and watched a trial in Glasgow Sheriff Court, um, and the PF had stood up and he had questioned um, the main witness, who was a guy who had been assaulted. It was a family party, and uh, one of the guys had been hit with a machete and and the arm it was a pretty serious injury, uh, and the PF stood up and uh, was questioning him, and all seemed fine. And then the first witness came in. Um, this is for the second witness. He was the main witness. The second witness came in, and it was this wee Glasgow mum, and she'd told the police that she'd seen it happen. But under cross examination, turns out she was up the stairs. She never seen any of it, and right. her family had kind of coaxed her into, you know, coached her into saying she'd seen it just so because uh, in in Scotland you need uh, corroboration rules, so you need two pieces of evidence. It's not only enough to for the one person to to say that they've seen. You know, it's something you need two pieces of evidence. So, without that main piece of evidence, the whole trial collapsed, and we seen it collapse. Uh, and it was it was it was fascinating to see that. Um, and the, we were there was a kind of group of us, the students, up the back of the court, and the PF come up and explained to us what happened. And he was kind of, ex- and then he just got speaking to us generally. Um, and up behind him, the defence lawyer had a, on a bit of paper. So, see, his name was Tom, and the PF's name was Paul. He had like Tom to. Paul Nill, uh-huh. <laughs> which that might sound quite crude to people because uh-huh. it's like it's people's lives. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a it's a game. When you simplify it, it is a it's a it's a competition. It's and again, that might not be nice for people to hear, but you want your lawyer to win anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, you want your lawyer to. And some people sometimes that involves playing dirty. There was no dirty tricks there. All it was. The, the, the law says that you must have two pieces of evidence there and they weren't there so that's how the trial collapsed mm-hmm. and that's why the, you know, the defence he's seen it as a win so that's interesting because I mean for the more serious cases and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll mention it so the the recent case and I won't even say his name but the boy who murdered the wee girl in, in Rossi and was represented by a very prominent QC under Lord Matthews was obviously was presiding uh, over the case and he said at the end of it that he wanted to especially thank um, Brian McConaughey Brian McConaughey I wasn't going to say his name but I mean, it's public, public record public knowledge yeah. I just didn't 
Anyway, so he kind of commended him and said that both sides of the bar had acted impeccably in ensuring that justice was delivered, and that's how that conversation started with us about you know the necessity and the important role that you know the defence lawyer plays because let's just say um, that for whatever reason some part of the bargain wasn't upheld by the police or the procurator fiscal the unthinkable possibility of that animal yeah. getting away with that is just horrendous and it made me then realise that okay so that was a really important role he played and then it led to a load of questions that I then started to have about defence lawyers and their responsibility to the the law as a whole and to their client so a couple of things a couple of points what would be and if you don't know the answer to this by the way don't worry because it's very um, it's very specific but what would be the outcome let's just say a lawyer decided this has been a bit serious and although we're talking about a very serious thing I'll, I'll, I'll simplify it in terms of the way I'm putting it across say the lawyer just goes fuck this I know this guy did this I know he did or even just decides he does and goes nah nah he's guilty let's say he just stands up in court and goes here yeah he's lying by the way like he, I'm convinced he did it I've no. seen him do it I was there he's actually speaking incorrectly he pure done it by the way <laughs> what would happen if, if that happened apart from well tell me everything like I, I, I'd, I'd say the chances of that happening are unbelievably slim but I think uh, that would probably be grounds to be disbarred you have a duty to follow your client's instructions so if your client has instructed you to, to plead not guilty you, you have to lead the evidence and you have to you have to plead not guilty on it on his behalf mm-hmm. the case the, the Aaron Campbell case uh, obviously that was a, a real difficult one for the QC involved there he was instructed to enter a, a defence of incriminality mm-hmm. and that was pointing the finger at a completely innocent woman now that's you know, we're talking about morals here, we're talking about morals in defending murderers in the first place. But that really calls into question your morals again because well there's who's not who's not to say that he hadn't already admitted his guilt to, to his lawyer. And obviously under legal professional privilege he he can't disclose that. Um but not he might not only have disclosed that he was guilty, he might have said and I'm also going to point the finger at someone else and he just has an obligation to, to go along with that. I mean you can you can refuse to act for someone. It's very, very rare, um, and it would only really happen if it was a conflict of interest or uh, in that kind of situation. But um, he has an obligation to enter that, and that's what Lord Matthews had touched on. That's what he said. A lawyer doesn't make up a defence. They go with what the, their, their their client tells them to. They put together the evidence on that basis. So it's not the lawyer who completely makes it up. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's maybe the misconception where that arises because you hear the person saying my client my client my client and you just automatically assume because of the way it's presented and the language and the my me us we and you kind of think well they're in it together from the morality standpoint I can I share that concern or that inner conflict because I can quite safely say if somebody turned down to me and said well I did commit this evil crime um, I'm, I'm, I've got zero remorse and I'm going to blame somebody else but mate you're fucking on your own We, this is where we part ways then because I'm not I'm not playing any part in that yeah no 
I, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess my wee story there with the the two nil thing, there's there's a kind of misconception that every criminal lawyer is like a wee crooked guy that's going along and mm-hmm. trying to help his client get away with whatever we'll get away with whatever we can. Right. We're in this together type yeah. of thing. But it's not um, on the Law Society's website. There is a code to uh, carrying out criminal work, and one of the main things it says is always keep your client at arm's distance. Mm-hmm. Um, just small things like uh, make sure they call you never call you by your first name so if I had a client I was a criminal lawyer they would always have to call me or I would ins- always uh, insist that they call me Mr. Kamichael mm-hmm. so it's not a pals act right. um, and I, I do, when I'm thinking back to that 2-0 story I've kind of totally played into that whole stereotype of the but that wasn't a, that wasn't a, as serious a case as this mm-hmm. and I suppose uh when it comes to these these kind of issues, you're never going to get that. It's not it's not as lighthearted as that. Um, and I suppose with the whole, you know, you're saying about my clientness, and what you need to do is sometimes the whole fact that these are human, that, that, that the accused isn't just the accused, because they will be called the accused, the PF will call them accused when they're going over police statements, it'll be the accused done this, the accused done that. And one of the, parts of a criminal uh, defence lawyer's job is to humanise the person use their name and by saying my client it does sound like a team thing but you're trying to humanise mm-hmm. them yeah so we've discussed you know the, the crucial role that they play in ensuring that justice is actually served to the people who deserve to have it um, delivered to them in terms of the victims or to the perpetrators of a crime but there's also a societal responsibility that we kind of touched on. So I'd like to discuss that and I'll kind of explain what I mean by that. So often there are mitigating circumstances in, um, in, in a lot of offences and it represents the or it gives an idea to the bigger picture. So let's just say petty crime. Uh, somebody's smashed a car and, and they've taken a, a stereo. Or something. That's a pure 1994 crime, isn't it? I don't <laughs> even know if that happens anymore. Um, by mitigating st- circumstances, then, I mean, where was the accused brought up in a broken home? Yeah. Do they have a drug addiction and they're in a cycle of addiction and offending? You know, what the, you know, it's up, is it up to the criminal lawyer or is it their role and responsibility to society to present these other factors in a way that we can get a better resolution for society? Because I'll refer to episode 13 that I recorded with prison officer Frank McEwen and we discussed just the cycle of eff- uh, of offending you know um, prosecution conviction incarceration release offending yeah. pro- like arrest prosecution and, and it just never stops so basically and I've, I'm going to shut up right because I've spoke for ages to get this question out but I just want to really paint the picture I just mean if we had then, if it was the role of the criminal lawyer to communicate these points to the judge and the jury with the view of achieving like a more constructive resolution, i.e. reform, drug counselling, therapy, um, rehab, as opposed to, or if unavoidable, in conjunction with a custodial sentence, because it's then going to do something towards breaking that cycle of offending and stop having the same people up in the dock for the same stuff so now that I've rambled for five minutes tell me what you think about that it's the it is absolutely the the defend the the criminal defence lawyer's job to articulate the 
the accused story, mm-hmm. your client's story, what you would use there is a social work report. So you'd want to know uh, what's their employment status, um, they have work, are they in receipt of benefits, what's their home situation like. Um, a lot of the times, as you said, you, you, you had the, your man Frank on and he spoke about the, the cycle of, you know, the, just the, the complete turning wheel of mm-hmm. um, repeat offenders. And these guys do have a story. Sometimes they might be victims themselves. And it's your job to articulate that to the court um, and you deliver a plea in mitigation. Um, so, so I've seen, I was just, I'm just thinking of, again, I was in court practicing for um, an assessment I had. We had an assessment delivering a plea in mitigation. It was a, a kind of made up scenario. So you were given a made up client and their story and what kind they'd committed. So, with a plea in mitigation, does that mean a, I was. Yeah, a plea in mitigation is if someone has has been they've either pled guilty or they've they've been convicted and they've been so uh, I would perceive that to, to mean well how do you plead like did you do it and it's like the answer is aye but that because of this like this is why yeah but it's it's after a guilty verdict's been passed mm-hmm. or either the, the the accused has has entered a guilty plea themselves or whether they've been they've been convicted uh, and it's basically the lawyer's just standing up in front of the court with the social work report and articulating the story, mm-hmm. how how it was it came about that the crime was committed, what's the the accused backstory, what's and and the PF will have a chance to give their version of events again because sometimes it'll be in front of a completely new sheriff, especially if it's a summary if it's summary procedure. Um, there's two types of a criminal procedure in the sheriff court, there's or in the high court and just in the justice system, you get um, summary procedure. So that's just a sheriff that's um, presiding over the case, or solemn, which is a, a sheriff and a jury. Um, obviously, the, the jury's not involved in the the sentencing part. Mm-hmm. So you, the plea mitigation is just a, def- a, a, a criminal defence lawyer standing in front of the sheriff and giving the story. And that's also the defence lawyer's opportunity to invite the sheriff to consider alternatives to a custodial sentence, like the alternatives that you had mentioned previously, a community payback order, or a curfew, or, as you say, a drug or alcohol rehabilitation order, alongside any of those options if that person's suffering with an addiction. Because that is your job, to highlight to the court the the various options that's at their disposal, uh, which could genuinely help that person if they're stuck in a cycle of offending. And going back to the mitigating circumstances point, again, your job is to, to paint uh, a full picture and highlight any potential reasons why the offender is behaving in a certain way and committing these offences so that the court is fully aware of the, the whole picture, um, such as stealing a, a car stereo because the guy wants to sell it to fund his addiction or if he just wants to put food on the table for his family. When I was at college years ago studying journalism and it was they still taught shorthand and in conjunction with the Scots law course that we had to go through, basically on you know what you can report in court proceedings, blah blah blah. So we had to go to the sheriff court like on a Monday morning, and it was like after all the nutcases had been locked up um, for the weekend in the sheriff court. Not that I'm reveling in people's misfortune or whatever, but some of the cases are really funny, and that's just how it is. Yeah. And the one of the ones I spoke about this on a previous episode, and I can't remember who I spoke about it with. But basically it was a woman in Kirk and Tillock had a dirt bike and a male friend was like, oh, can I borrow your dirt bike to get a shot? And she said no, but he took it anyway. 
and he crashed it so then he put it back and they basically described that she lived on a bottom floor flat but it had a wee veranda and it had a wee gate which is where she kept her dirt bike mm-hmm. so her pal who borrowed it without permission attempted to like discreetly put it back but one of the neighbours saw him <laughs> and told her so as you do she went and got her crossbow so that's another thing right what is it and you know so many times so many times I'm like I'll read a story about something that's happened in Glasgow and I'm like aye and they shot him with a crossbow I'm like aye. is there some medieval weapons dealer that's like supplying all the nets in Glasgow so they were then reading out of like and it's like this whoever I love how you said have you said borrowed without permission I basically stole it but put it back because I mean he put it back though so he wasn't intended to keep it <laughs> Um, so it's like the men's race and actors race don't really tie together because you can see his men's race was just to borrow it actors race he's technically stolen it well this is embarrassing because as soon as I listened back I did realise it's not men's race and actors race it's men's rare and actors race so for the next minute or two you're going to hear me taking the piss and saying it's embarrassing if you don't know what men's race is and actors race is when in reality I got it wrong so let's just pretend that never happened and for any lawyers I'm really sorry uh, for anyone who didn't know what it was to begin with I'm hardly going to apologise to you <laughs> you didn't even know what it was in the first place so anyway back to the interview for any of you for any of you idiots listening who don't know what men's race and actors race is for a start Educate yourself. So I only learned what that was like a few weeks ago. You can't. You, you can't say that you never meant to steal something. True. But then you could you not argue that? Check, could I'll you not? See, check, I know yeah. what you mean, right? That no, because here's the thing. See if you, because like men's race is your your motivation. Actors race is carrying out the act, and the two yeah. of them have to go together in order to be whatever considered a crime or whatever. So I would argue he could say well my men's race was not to keep it for my um, permanent possession but only to get a wee shot of it and then put it back your honour mm-hmm. I don't think I would, I nah. would hold up nah well uh, do you know what see if there's anybody listening to this and going aye we hate, look at the state of you well at least, you do, at least I knew what men's race and actors race was that's right. embarrassing that you never I learned what it was about five weeks ago I went for part, uh, dinner with my lawyer friend Tim Lennox and he was explaining it uh, oh no, that's what it was. Um, uh, he worked for a comp- Tam uh, Tam L. Tam worked for this clothes company, right? And uh, the manager. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm able to say this. No, I can because he didn't do it wrong, and if he didn't do anything wrong, but basically, this woman, what happened was the shop he worked in was getting shoplifted from, mm-hmm. and the manager, the buck stopped with her, and she was looking for somebody to blame. So she called Tim in, and she's like you looked at the safe I'm phoning the police you were thinking about stealing that and he's like are you fucking mental he's like I'm about to qualify as a lawyer why would I steal like a hundred pounds and he's like like, there is no such he's like phoning the police there's no such crime as thinking about stealing stuff he's like and I was saying I was like that sounds like pure Orwellian as fuck like you thought about stealing that therefore you're going to jail no bother 1984 (laughs) Um, I I totally forgot arrested for your thoughts I exactly. As much See as if you could. I'd be doing life. Jesus, <laughs> Mate, I'd be on death row. They would bring back hanging. Not because I've thought about it and horrible, but <laughs> I would say treason. I to caveat that I would say it's more along the lines of treason. Uh, read between the lines, you know what I'm talking about. Um so anyway, 
to go back to that woman, she, she uh, the guy stole the thing, so she went round with a crossbow and she shot through his window. Right. So I don't see that as being a bad as a warning shot. I would say that as more damage than trying to like like attempted murder. But anyway, I don't know if he's shooting that. If he shoot any kind of weapon through someone's, mm. it's reckless. I just picture her reckless. dressed like Robin Hood. <laughs> but like, why have you got? Oh yeah. If I hear crossbow, sometimes in my mind I see bow and arrow. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine you were like arguing with somebody in the street. You know what? Outside the house with a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> somebody else runs up me like on a horse with one of the big, what do you call them? When they used to run at each other. What? When they would go like jousting. In the old days, when they'd have like horses and they'd run at each other holding the big thing, like knights would have. Uh, I don't know. I'm just big cautious. Like a big cosh. Basically, aye. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go and get my dad and let the dad comes in and he's got a crossbow or tights on and that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like if you're weak guys getting caught with knives and all that, you're like, oh man, I'm up in court tomorrow. How do I get searched? I get, they found a bow and arrow on me. <laughs> I, they found a mess on me. There yeah. must be some sort of, there must be some sort of dealer going about. Did you see that? There was a case recently in Germany and it was three people and they'd they died in, in a hotel room and there was just a inexplicably just a, a crossbow <laughs> in the room. They must be like, I don't know, history enthusiasts or something. Anyway. I don't know. Right. To go back, so the, the, she's up in court and then they were like reading out what she said like verbatim, like yeah. pure word for word and it's just hearing this wee posh. Although I, I, that I, is one of the, like, I know it's a, Totally serious, but th- that is one of the funniest parts. Yeah, of it's it. hilarious, course, especially when it's read out and it's, you know, you're looking at the sheriff and it's it's, I mean, it's it's total, like just so theatrical. It's so theatrical. I see the, way, the you know the fact they're wearing the wigs and the uh-huh. gowns and everything, and then there's just this silence, and then it's just one person saying, and then he said, "Fuck this," and you know what I mean. And it's just total. It's wild. Well, they read out, and it was like. Um, she said when apprehended or arrested or whatever and then she like paused and went get your fucking poofy wee horns off me you fucking poofy looking wee cunt and what are you fucking laughing at stupid and like reading out and I just was like yeah, and, and tears, just, tears streaming down my face they have to laughing. keep a straight, a straight face when they're reading this as well Aye. You know what I mean? and that's we'd been warned about that and um, it was just the first case and it I think it just caught me so off guard and with the fact that that is an utterly hilarious situation and and, and just the absurdity and it's like a, just a pure visual and audio, audible juxtaposition like these things don't go with each other and um, I was t- to be honest I was fucking howling with laughter and I get warned by the police because I was like a police officer yeah there's always an on duty police officer in this court and he's like we man, don't like this isn't the time or place, and I get ejected for the courtroom because, and this isn't any word of lie because this sounds made up, but I bet you I could find this in court records. So if anybody wants to challenge me, I'll find it because I remember the date that I went because you know how I remember the date. It was also the day of this first day of the trial of the two men convicted of assaulting Neil Lennon and Ashton Lane. Oh, yeah. So yep. it was like 2008, January 2009, right? Maybe it was 08. I think it was 09. can't remember. Um, anyway, they stood up and went, the next case is the Crown versus Guy Ritchie. And Guy Ritchie had just got divorced from Madonna like the week before. Yeah. And I said, Do you think Guy Ritchie turned up wrecked at Madonna's house <laughs> in like Castle Milk and they get arrested for it? <laughs> and he just chucked me up. 
The other one I went to was um, a, a fight broke out between the chef and a pub and like one of the punters over the food and the chef bit the punter's finger off. Aye, <laughs> 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 and they read it out and they were like, basically, like you said in your statement that when the, the accused um, bit your finger that he was like a dog, like what do you mean by that? And then the guy just like put his finger in his mouth and went, and he started doing that. And again, I'm like, this, I, I was always like, there's cameras in here, like this is set up to make me laugh, like to bam me up. It was absolutely mental. Um, so, what were we talking about? I've just pure, conf- like just pure lost myself. We talked about the mitigating circumstances. We talked about, ah, uh, right, we'll come back to it, I'll check, right? I think what, what I'm conscious of that we've not actually answered the question about morals because although you've got a duty and you've got an obligation and stuff it still doesn't really take away the human element of it does it, it you, I mean you can't help but you can't help but because when you look at the victims and uh, do you know what I mean you're still as a, as a lawyer you're still a human and although you're defending these criminals and they, they're your client as you put it like, and it's like a team you still feel compassion you still feel empathy towards the victims and their families and the whole the moral part of it is it's difficult it's complex morals are complex Mor- mm-hmm. morals are what's more immoral to you might not necessarily be immoral to me and vice versa although there's a kind of standard of of morals and what's right and what's wrong it's still it's still a difficult if you're living with that every single day you're taking it home and you're you know you're you're sitting you're you're interviewing these people day in day out it's going to have an effect on you have you heard of the the trolley case moral dilemma uh, no I don't think so so, this is a thought experiment um, developed in the 1960s by a philosopher called Philippa Foot. Um, have you, by the way, have you ever heard of her cousin, French guy, Philippe Flop? <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Uh, this is a, a thought experiment um, and kind of moral dilemma which has been debated and analysed by philosophers and most law students would have came across this when they were studying uh, jurisprudence, which is the theoretical study of law. And basically it's a hypothetical scenario whereby you find yourself at the side of a train track and there's a train hurtling down the track, there's nobody in control of it, you can see, um, and the brakes are broken. So the train is about to carry into five workers are on the track, they can't see or hear that it's coming, uh, and there's a fork in the track and basically you're standing at the fork in the track and there's a there's a lever in front of you uh, and if you... At, on the other um, side of the track there's just one worker so the fork in the track goes straight in a line and there's five on that side and if you pull the, the, the lever there's it's going to go into one worker so the moral dilemma is do you just stand by and let the train continue on the track it's on on the path it's on and it's inevitably going to hit these five workers and kill them or do you pull the lever and change the, the train's direction so that it hits just the one worker what would you what would you say you would do in that scenario? Um, I, it's obviously because no matter what you're kind of somebody's going to die or people are going to die. Um, I suppose the logical answer to that that most people would go with you try and minimise the death toll or whatever and and choose to kind of kill the one person as opposed to the five, like sort of minimise the impact. Uh, well, I mean, well, there's no there's no right or wrong answer to this. If you ask a room full of people. This question, like you get various different answers, you get very different, various different opinions on it. 
Um, but that is probably the most the, the most popular answer. Like um, if you get like if I was away though, see like if you could have time to do a wee survey, like get them to answer questions like do you put pineapple on pizza like do you call it a dressing gown or a house coat and like based on the answers I could then decide who <laughs> I was going to kill take down, and not. like would you call it like what would I say there um, dressing gown or house coat it's obviously a dressing gown um, Jenny long legs or daddy long legs aye that one's a weird see the dressing gown and house coat one it's weird like I heard somebody say before like you don't call slippers gaff shoes, gaff shoes so why would you call a like a dressing gown, a house coat. So you say like French toast and eggy bread. And surely like, nobody calls it eggy. I, bread. I've I've known people. I bet you there's people here who'll who'll be listening to this. They call, they it, call eggy. it eggy bread. Um, just do me a favour, man. <laughs> just do us a favour and don't listen to my podcast ever again. All right. Um, aye. So I, I I get what you mean. It's quite interesting because obviously I suppose that's linked in some way to getting yourself involved in a criminal case. Is it like is that to paint the picture of how? Aye, the other, it's just a, it's, it's a moral dilemma that's been debated because I mean the morality in it is no matter what option you take there's kind of bad consequences mm. but you can also argue that there's good there's, mo- there's moral good in each decision you make because mm-hmm. if you decide to pull that lever your argument is well I was, it was for the greater good the greatest good for the greatest number um, or if you decide not to you, your argument is well I know I wasn't taking I wasn't playing God I wasn't taking things into my own hands it was inevitable they were going to die and I suppose it's just two schools of thought here um, that are debated in the textbooks and this, there's loads of writing on this loads of textbooks on this sort of thing um, and it's, it comes down to whether uh, you believe that the consequences of your actions are the most important basis for whether something's morally right or morally wrong or whether um, your actions alone are what's important because you're not in control of the consequences at times Um Basically, you could say those five people were already doomed, so you're taking matters into your own hands, and that would constitute a moral wrong. But basically, the, the, the reason I'm bringing this up and applying it to what we're already talking about is, on the face of it, some people might it might seem to some people that it's immoral to defend someone in a criminal case who's been accused of committing a, a horrendous act. But when you really think about it, and the morals of it, and the sort of good morals and reasoning and having criminal defence lawyers and for being a criminal defence lawyer is you're part of a system that helps ensure that justice is served to those who deserve it mm. uh, and also uh, justice and the law is fairly <coughs> applied and, and to me that's that's fairly good reasoning Aye, it's kind of what we touched on at the start ensuring that justice is like delivered because um, I think maybe so as it when we were talking about people getting this sort of I don't want to say wrong end of the stick but maybe just misinterpreting the purpose of a criminal defence lawyer people might often see it as doing anything they can to con a jury or to con the judge or to con the public but it's more just that all the facts are explored and, you're, and what have you you're, you're, you're holding everyone up to a set of standards making sure everyone's doing their job properly and that's that's your purpose if, if anything um, there's definitely moral good in it mm-hmm. right aye that, 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 that's a good a good example it was a good explanation so cheers for that as we we sort of round this wee bit off to a close I think we would both agree and conclude that Criminal defence lawyers, if we remove the word defence or the the connotations or interpretations of the word defence, the criminal lawyers are they're, they're essential and necessary to to basically to ensure that as we as Kenny was pointing out that um, you know everybody plays their part in this machine 
and if they do and if they're all held to account then we can ensure justice so the animals that you know the perpetrators of absolutely unspeakable horrific crimes are held to justice because the worst the last thing you want is some animal like that um, getting off because um, police fucked up or the procurator fiscal was acting out of order and it then becomes you're like well case is done like that's it and I know I'm simplifying that but I'm sure there are examples or similarities in ways in which that could have happened Um, I just there is going to be we've not even touched on the fact that you could genuinely get someone who you're representing who is not guilty who has genuinely been has been accused of Aye. a crime they did not commit Aye. it's rare but see for all of those cases that you are representing maybe the guilty and mm-hmm. we've, we've spoke on mitigating circumstances in their story you're practising you're, you're gaining knowledge you are every single case you'll learn from so that from when that one case you do get who's ge- someone who's genuinely innocent you've mm-hmm. got all the tools you've got the yeah. experience there to deal with that I'd say case in point would be the ice cream Wars, ice cream murders, um, the two men who were wrongfully convicted and it was eventually overturned. Um, but sadly, after I believe decades behind bars and horrific treatment and abuse and bullying and assaults and you name it. Um, so I, I don't know the answer. I've not studied that case. I, I don't think I have any knowledge f- out with newspaper and media coverage and through books that I've read but it was never in real detail but I'd imagine if they had I don't know better lawyers um, well, no I, amount of, obviously no amount of compensation or whatever can ever give uh, either life back by either. the way as I say better lawyers I don't mean that as if ah oh, well tough luck I don't know I'm just kind of guessing well the, the one that people will know probably inside out is the Stephen Avery case oh, That that's one that people fuck man that's obviously it's not as close to home, but that's uh, that's one where a guy spent eighteen year, eighteen years behind bars for a crime he never committed, and then was released and then put back behind bars again for uh, some would say perhaps was a conspiracy theory because uh, he'd there was a, he had a civil case ongoing against the police for his wrongful conviction, um, and now it wasn't if you watch the second series I, I don't want to give too many spoilers away in case anyone's not watched it. Well, I never watched it because because see when you said his name and I went oh fuck because that's what that that sort of invokes within me I'm not watching yeah. series 2 see until I find out he's out of jail I'm not interested because I'll just be pissed off like yeah. it's such an injustice um, but when you watch the first series like, like everyone totally gets behind his, his criminal defence lawyers it's like there was like memes of them going about and all that they were totally um, they were like sex symbols as well which was nuts the two guys, the two guys Mate, I defending. posted one of them and yeah. it was like what, what was her name? Dean Strang? Dean Strang was one, yeah. What was it? Okay. Jim Strang. Oh. We could easily Google this, but I'm not going to. But anyway, yeah. I had the one that's like a picture of them and I love her because I loved them. I was like, legends. Yeah. Because taking on the case. Um, but then, but the second, when when she when they end up, you get another lawyer and she kind of exposed some of the kind of feelings, feelings of his, of his, um, his defence in the, in the, in the trial. Um, and, initially you're like wow the guy's done such a good job but when it was actually picked apart they did make some mistakes and I suppose anybody who's reviewing a case would do, do any lawyer is going to do things differently mm-hmm. um, there's no set way to, to go about it everyone's got their own style and... so I hope you've enjoyed this segment speaking about the you know the criminal lawyers quite keen to hear 
or the purpose current and the role that they play within the justice system. If you want to share any thoughts, feel free, you can. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on is often the accused isn't named, their identity is protected to sometimes with the nature or sensitivity of a trial to ensure that they're not either prejudged or there's no other circumstances or factors which could lead to them not having a fair trial. Which leads me on to something that has long pissed me off because it's not done through any sense of nobility or desire for justice or protection. I believe that this thing is carried out as a very weird, warped, twisted way of exerting power over people and belittling people who may deserve it or not. You know, it's kind of neither here nor there at this point. But what these people do, and I'm talking about the pedo hunter phenomenon which we see in social media and Facebook and YouTube. Now, what I feel they do is they jeopardise proper criminal trials. I feel if they had a genuine interest in the delivery of justice and the protection of children, then what they would do is, you know, get this evidence, that's great, pass it to the police and ensure a proper conviction. Now, I'm sure you would agree here, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If I turn up at somebody's door and see this get and stream it to thirty thousand people, and I've seen videos where they're getting giddy and excited and really buzzing and enthusiastic, they're going, "Oh, we've got forty thousand people watching," and I just think you fucking wronging. You're getting and it's like the, I sometimes feel as if they get a sexual thrill out of like putting that dominance over somebody with the like they start getting really hit up and emotional and sort of enraged and they're getting really abusive and I'm like, I'd kick your fucking head in if the police were they coming but I need to protect you. And I just think it is the most fucked up thing. You know, if you've got that evidence of people, then great. Now, also, I'm going to just while I'm on a roll, what if the person is innocent but that's it? 40,000 people saw it live and then a million people saw it later and that's it. You know, judging juries out, you're guilty, you're a pedo, yeah. you're getting stabbed. Mud sticks as well, because when that, your reputation's been damaged like that as well, it's hard to reverse it. Aye. Um, but, as you say, it's innocent until... It's taking the law into your own hands, completely. And what these people are doing is... I mean, they'll see themselves as some sort of vigilante, like they're providing a service that... But, ultimately... They're, they're taking the law into their own hands and they're preventing the conviction because the judge is then just looking at it and going I would love to see the stats of how many were handed over to the police and how many resulted in conviction because the police and the PF are like that. the procurator fiscal would be like there is no way in hell we can provide a fair trial yeah. now they might be like we'll move the case to Aberdeen yeah, or whatever I've seen them do that before they have done that, done that moved it to another city social media these these groups have like followed worldwide like, aye it goes out to the world yep I mean, it started where I used to watch to Catch a Predator. Did you ever see I, that? I did, I did, I watched it as well. And I remember at first seeing it thinking, this is brilliant. At first, and then it's obviously just grew arms and legs and it's, it's just went a total, a way that you, it's just not moral at all. It's and not I, about morals, that's not moral at all. It's, the, and the difference with that is I believe that those cases are those examples of when they snared people who were obviously predatory they wouldn't go out until after the case had been heard and decided upon and the person was then sentenced and then it would be, oh now we can show you what happened. I think people if they had, I I dare say there's not a police officer or anybody within the legal system who doesn't despise these people and 
they're, they're preventing convictions and that honestly fucks me off so so much because I'm like you're not doing that because you care you're doing it for your own twisted wee weird what, reasons one of the other ones I would mention here is, is Tommy Robinson standing outside the court with a with a Fuck camera what an arsehole standing outside a court with a camera and videoing the, the sex grooming gang as they're going in and out of court and nearly collapsed to fucking trial. trial moron that I mean that is along the same lines you're, you're totally, ex- jeopard- exactly totally right? jeopardising the case and again that's for his own political gain so he, you know he wants to be a little hero standing in front of the court I'm going to expose I'm these people them. and he's, total, he's totally jeopardising the whole trial can you imagine that that trial collapsed and they would have all walked away innocent because that wanker is standing. Yep. Fanny, honestly. See, anybody... Um, not that I have any issue with hiding what I think about people like that and anybody associated with him, but I'll leave it for another day because we're, talk- we're not really here to talk about him, but idiot. Him, well, we'll probably, for, yeah, the next subject we'll talk about, we might come on to him a wee bit, but... One may argue that, well, it's my right to be able to say this, or it's my right to be able to live stream this on social media... Or it's my right to be able to say X, Y, Z. And that takes us perfectly into freedom of speech and the nature of it in the United Kingdom. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Do we have do we have freedom of speech here in the UK? Uh, yes, we do. Um we don't have it in our in our written down like as the Americans do in their uh, First Amendment of the their written constitution. Um but it exists. Uh but it's nuanced by certain things that you can't say, um, and there's many of them. Again, this comes from your freedom of speech. Is uh, it comes from your freedom of expression, human right, um, Article Three of the European Convention on Human Rights, um, which is that everyone has the right to freedom of expression. Um, but that's it's a qualified right, so it's not absolute, and that's the same the world over. You, you can't just say whatever you want to say. Um, there's various exceptions. Um, we can go through them. Can I interject slightly? Yeah. Um, I think people conflate freedom of expression with freedom of co- from consequence. You know, say you're walking about saying something racist and you get a punch in your stupid, ugly jaw. And then you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to say what I want to say. I'm like, aye, but you're not allowed to fucking have no consequence to it whatsoever. Like, yeah. It doesn't mean you can say what you want and no consequence. Like, you say something and you deal with a consequence, you prick. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> From from a from a legal standpoint, um, it's 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 qualified, uh, and one of the qualifications is hate speech. Is what you're is what you've referred to there. Um, so the way the basically hate speech. There's no such again. There's no actual law on hate speech. There's hate crimes, standalone hate crime mm-hmm. laws. Um, but there's also regulations which aggravate existing crimes. Um, so for that, there's a breach of the peace with a, an aggravated racial prejudice um, or an aggravated religious prejudice. Mm-hmm. We also had that um, offensive offensive football act. What was it called again? The offensive behaviour at football act. Yeah, which was repealed. 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 Eventually. Rightfully. Um, and that was dealing with hate speech and from a sectarian point mm-hmm. of view. Um, but we've got uh, we've we've got you know. Hate speech online is huge, um, and my view on it is that there's the law isn't adequately addressing it. We've got the 
Communication Act 2003. Um, That's nuts, isn't it? So that was, was, I mean, does it say when there was a last um, an amendment made to it? Because if that was implemented in 2003, but it was amended up until 2017 in order to modernise it, but I feel like the law is so far behind society. Like, you know, every six months, uh, methods of communication across change, yeah. across apps, they, they change, they update, they, um, they alter somewhat. And we've got a 2003, like... This is still in... This law's still in place because there's still people being charged with it. People... I just mean, like, if they'd, like, 2003, but... You know, they continuously make... As amended, yeah. like, blah, blah, blah. So as amended, there's been no amendment to this. That is like, fucking... Not in this mental. section of the Act, anyway, because it's, it's a Section 127 offence, which is an offence... A person's person is guilty of an offence if he sends by means of a public electronic communications network a message or other matter that is grossly offensive or of an indecent, obscene or menacing character. See, they might then dictate that that is... Because, I mean, it sounds all-encompassing, but I just mean there's so many different ways, you know, like impersonation of people. I get people using pictures all the time for catfishing me, right? And there was a guy... A guy from Kilmarnock, and his name was... Uh, hold on. Was that guy called Mark, that catfish guy? Yeah. Ah, he was called Mark, right? <laughs> and uh, he's got all tattoos. He's from Kilmarnock. He's, he's like between the ages of 29 and 32. And he was telling people he was a landscape gardener. But he was sending naked pictures of himself to young girls, right? And, and basically sending his wee pish body, right? Just looked like he just looked terrible. But for the neck down. Mm-hmm. Like very sexual stuff all of which uh, if you're listening Mark I've got all the pictures on my phone and I've got your phone number pal um, because you're, you're encroaching on there's a crime for that as well like see if you were to expose him on I know I, I Do- know doxing it's called Aye. doxing so, it's so I've got his thing but basically because he spoke, he was talking to me on Snapchat and he thought he was speaking to one of the girls that he was thinking but it later was coming I mean this guy was prolific for about a year and a year and a half and I started getting pure 15 year old girls messaging me on Instagram like private like requesting to send me a message like just so you know this guy like I've sent him pictures and I just was like phone like police I have to take that to the police man that's wild police spoke to him the uh, the police they phoned him and he he got a real real fright because they had his number on record already I don't know what for they're not able to tell me And uh, all they could do was warn them because they were like, we we can't tie this into a crime. And I was like, I was like, but he's soliciting images from young girls. And I'm going, aye, but... And I mean, the police officers, as lovely as they were, as understanding, I had to educate them because they were like, oh, so uh, can we get WhatsApp or Tinder to send us it? And I was like, I don't believe they're exchanging images through Tinder. I think... They're doing it over Snapchat, and yeah. I was like, it's not traceable. I was like, but I have the screenshots, and they were like, but he sent it to you. And I was like, but he thought he was sending it to a young child, and they were just like, dum dums, they were pure simpletons about that it, is, and they couldn't tie it into a crime. It's so, so frustrating. That is part of the issue is lawmakers, police. The, the internet has just moved on so fast that the law is struggling to keep up with it. I, Obviously, police officers are. Are those who enforce the law, and some and sometimes they don't they don't even you know they don't have a clue about they had z- they had zero and clue. You see, seen Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg in front of the um, the Senate, mm-hmm. and they were just like they had no idea what he was talking about. They could have been speaking a foreign language, um, but 
yeah, they, these kind of these kind of offences again are struggling to keep up culturally with people. The, one of the most recent ones, I don't know if you've seen it, was the the Scottish YouTuber. He, it was uh, what's his name, Count Dan Count Dankula. Right, and go on. He had uh, he taught his pug how to do a Nazi salute. Did you hear about this case? No. Yeah. And he was shouting like "gas the Jews," etc. Mm-hmm. Which is just to me, it's, it's, he's saying it's a joke. It's not. It's not a joke. It's not funny. It's not funny. Um, but what the case? Cause so he was charged with that under this section one two seven. And I've got a, I've got an expert, a, an expert from the actual case here. So as a matter of law, the test, the test is not whether the video was offensive, but whether it was grossly offensive. That standard is an objective one in which I must apply the standards of an open and just multiracial society, taking account of context and the relevant circumstances, applying reasonably enlightened contemporary standards, considering whether the message is liable to cause gross offence to those whom it relates, mm-hmm. in this case Jewish people. Yeah, which is complete, that to me, that statement you've just read out, is completely rational and is completely a, befitting of a modern and just society that upholds values of decency. decency you, know, you can't yeah. just hide behind oh we're, uh, it's freedom of speech it nah joke. fuck off. I think one of the parts to it was is he said it was a joke to to annoy his girlfriend and the judge just said well why'd you, just enjoy it? It? Why'd you put it on your YouTube Aye. video but what the, the only issue I've got, I don't have any issue with this the only issue that I took was the standard being an objective one because if it's a matter of whether it's offensive or grossly offensive, being offended is a feeling, and mm-hmm. feelings are totally subjective. So I don't know how it, it's, it's hard to apply an objective test to a subjective feeling. I you feel know? I I feel like the the word offence, offended, and variations of it, offensiveness, whatever variation of the base word offence, has become a buzzword, and it's used. Oh, I need to think carefully not think carefully but I just try to make sense of my own thoughts I feel like it's a word that irritates me when I hear it yeah. you know I think we're all a bit sick of hearing it but then the danger of that is you know you get people going oh you're so offended oh you're just desperate to be offended which in a lot of cases is true right but it then blurs the lines between you know what is fucking outrageous you kind of be making like stuff about gas and that it's not fucking funny mm-hmm. pal just isn't it funny I think it says a lot about you if you find that funny but but, but there is a total minefield now there's, there's, it's became there's actual sections there's sections even the le- even left wing people are kind of arguing with each other about what's right and what's, what's wrong um, I'd, I'd seen a podcast on a Joe Rogan's podcast he had the, <coughs> the, the, the CEO of Twitter on and mm-hmm. he brought on his um, whoever his, it wasn't his lawyer but it was and he worked for a she worked for Twitter and she's a head of uh, trust and policy and she was trying to explain some of the reasons what what is against their terms of service mm-hmm. and they had a, a journalist on and one of the journalists had mentioned that they took somebody off Twitter for saying it was again an interesting subject one you could probably do a full podcast on uh, is transphobia um, and they were talking about tr- transgender people competing in sports Mm-hmm. And this American journalist had was in a debate with someone and had said a man in, in response. I don't. I, I mean, this may be out of context. People can correct me. But it was like she'd she had said a man is not a woman though. So they're debating whether a, a woman could 
compete in sports or a, a, man, a man who had, trans, had uh, undergone g- gender reassignment and was now competing in sports as a female right. well that was morally or ethically correct mm-hmm. and she had said a man is not a woman though and she received a lifetime ban from Twitter for that really? yep hmm. was there further context to anything she said before? well I, I think around the whole conversation she had she was basically given what she thought was biological facts she was saying a man just do you know what I mean it's not yeah here's the thing with that right and by the way I'm not giving any opinion on that I'm just stating a fact me neither but because it's like see my my overall umbrella opinion I'm very we we are both very privileged to be white straight twenties male you know like living a decent, from a decent area and so everything's in our favour so I don't think we really are the, the voices are the people who should be really pontificating or, or no. even discussing or, or whatever the, you know there lies other people who are you know marginalised in that thing and I've got solidarity with, with like um, you know any issues you know any I can't even I, I can't get into that headspace but I just know that it can't be easy if no. that's what your life is I would say the, the danger of that though with that woman if you said that to me, right, again, coming from a position of what I would call ignorance because it, I don't read up on that, so therefore I'm not qualified to make any sort of comment, that may seem a bit dangerous to me with the, you know, taking that woman off because pff, anybody wants to come at me trying to get wide with us, you'll get told to fuck right off because it's not an attack. But if she said to me, a man is not a woman, a woman's not a man, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Which is why I asked about the context. Like, yeah. was she basically going, "You're never a man. You're never a woman. You'll never be a woman." Which is a bit nasty. But then again, it's like I don't know whether she was attacking uh, someone who was transgender or whatever. I, I just know that she had said in an open debate on Twitter, "A man's not a woman, though." And because of that comment, that was what was the final straw that was meant she was did, removed. From did Twitter. Joe Rogan bring bring it up? He he was kind of challenging it because um, again we're talking about freedom of freedom of speech and one of the one of the issues with Twitter is it's a global phenomenon, right? So see, trying to apply a f- glo- global rules, they just don't they don't fit into every single culture. Yeah, do you, do you know what I mean? So, so they, trying to fit a square peg into a round 100%. hole. Hundred percent. So, but, and one of the issues is that Twitter have so much power now. They are like they are like the message board of the world, right? Yeah, and. They they are controlling who and who doesn't have a voice. They're removing people from Twitter. They're removing people from the conversation, which I don't. I'm but not giving an opinion it, on that 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 specific case. I'm not giving an opinion on that. I'm just saying uh-huh. if you remove people's voices from the conversation, you're not going to have healthy debate. It's, I mean, a, it's an echo chamber. It's an at echo that chamber. Point, yeah. And if it's if their terms of service are leaning towards left wing, if it's a left wing organisation, because it's in it's in I believe it's in California. Yeah, uh, which is a very sort of left wing, wing yeah. very left wing. So they are obviously applying left wing views, opinions, and that's kind of filtered into their terms of service. And if mm-hmm. you start removing people from the conversation, it just, as you say, it becomes an echo cha- chamber. It would maybe then what would be required would just be a sort of um, overall enlightenment in terms of you know from people of the world or users of the service who would realise that. You know, the website itself is not the 
they don't set the benchmark or the standard for what's acceptable or not, what's not. And I'm not saying that, co- I mean, common sense applies. Talking about being a Nazi and being a pure dickhead in, in any sense, no matter what political leaning you have, is just obviously that's you're going to categorise that as being out of order straight away. But then again, it's like Twitter doesn't set the benchmark for societal acceptability. No. And what what the issue is, is it's, it's one person behind a screen and I don't know whether they're qualified or not, but they're deciding what's right and what's wrong. Aye. What, what, one of the ideas that's been floated is like a sort of a jury system, a mm-hmm. Twitter jury system. I don't know if it would work in practice, but it's an idea that's been floated and basically you can either sign up to it or they just you're just selected for jury service. And basically, because it gives a more of a flavour of actual society's views on things, so what it would be is people have a vote. Like, if, if they're going to remove someone from Twitter or they're going to... See that jury part of the... Does that not make you just think, oh, mate, fucking go on a night out with your pals, man, <laughs> and delete Twitter off your phone, you mad nerd. As if, like, you can only continue to exist in the world if you've got this app where all you get is pure arseholes yeah. abusing you anyway. Like, it's a pure spit full of nope. fucking cunts. It is, it's, it's, it's a... To- and that was, a, that was actually a... a Maybe a we case. are stuck to them. That was actually a defence to a case. It was a, a defamation case um, brought against Katie Hopkins. I don't know if you've seen that. <laughs> she'd, uh, she'd. It was a sort of bit more um, like vandalism on war memorials, and she had tweeted someone and said, "Like been vandalized, been vandalizing any war memorials recently." But it turned out she'd tagged the wrong Twitter handle, and the person who she just so happened to tag was like some extreme left wing. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. And basically, was it, the, was it the black girl? No, she wasn't. It was her name was Jack Monroe. I think it was Jack Monroe. Did that not pure wipe her out, like pure bankrupt her or something? Uh, she, it, was, it was a hefty payout. I can't remember what it was. Can you have to a nicer person? Yeah. Eh? But her, one of her defences was well, Twitter is the wild, wild west. Like you can, be, she was trying to say you can say what you want on there. Do you know what I mean? Aye, when it suits you. When it suits you. She deleted the original tweet and then she followed up with a tweet, basically saying, "Well, I might have got that person the wrong Twitter handle, but." She's just as bad anyway, and that's fucking what, hell. That's man. what kind of was the nail in her coffin, almost. Oh, good. Um, that is that. There's a, that's a severe arrogance and stupidity, yeah. isn't it? Do you think? Um, but see, that's the thing, though. Again, and it's like where it, part of me is just like shut it down because it's like then where do we draw the line? Because it's like we kind of say, oh, Twitter, you don't get to decide the thing, mate. But then at the same time, it's like well. Twitter you do have and this is probably in their defence they have a responsibility as the message board of the world to just be like nah because whatever people see whatever becomes widespread popular belief if you're an easily easily influenced idiot who can't think for yourself and you see something which is like oh it's got half a million retweets or it's got it's got four million likes must be true must be on the basis of that being acceptable, therefore I'm going to adopt that as my opinion, and I'm also going to regurgitate that fucking rhetoric. Sorry, regurgitate that rhetoric to anybody that'll listen. So it's a kind of hard one. So I just say, shut it down. To be honest, it's funny. You get funny videos of dogs. I seen a, a video today, right, of a wee baby calling his dad a dick. Have you seen it? No. And he's like, he's this baby must be like eight months old. It's like dick. <laughs> and he does like stop calling me a dick and he's like drinking his bottle and just looking him in the eyes and going dick <laughs> so the stuff like that is funny right and, but you know what man I just feel I don't know it's f- but there, there, are, there is issues with it and going back to this see the communications act we're talking about that that offence under the communications act aye there's issues with that that the people didn't even think was go- going to transpire like me and you could be sitting having a conversation right now 
and be speaking about something completely offensive, right, in a private setting, and I can say whatever I want to you as long as you're not offended by it, and me and you can have a conversation. But if I'm to text you or email you that exact same, exact same rhetoric, exact same conversation, it could be caught under the Communications Act. So, for example, we could say that. Give me a second while I think. Um, Don't say something pure. Because <laughs> right. this is a communication. Just hear me out. Piers Morgan that have and he is a that would 100% see us be sued like well, that's, that is defamation libel slander <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would well, be sorry. fortunately um, through the magic of post editing I've bleeped it out imagine Imagine I went to bleep it but made a mistake and it went out and then yeah. I would be arrested. I'm going to get arrested no, for it's that. Not, it's, not, it's not a criminal Aye, it's not criminal. That's just an accusation of what it's a civil that matter. person... It's a, defam- it's, a, it's a statement that's untrue that could cause serious harm to someone's reputation. How do you know it's untrue? You don't. I don't. I don't. Well, that's then. what his defence would be though because that is a defence to... Def- to, to well, just, I'm really good at Photoshop on Snapchat so I'll just Photoshop. Don't say I think much. that's what his defence would be is if he would be like he would be arrested for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In some countries, you know. Aye. Right. So that's um, funny. Um right, is there anything else you would like to, to add? Just going back to the Twitter thing, um lifelong bans from Twitter. Like, it's like it's a bit like I'm not allowed in your mad stupid wee club, like pe- fine. I know. But people people commit murder, people commit mass murder and they're given like they're given a life sentence but it's not necessarily life and they're rehabilitated and all that so if we can do that for people that have committed serious crimes and just completely remove like I know that they, as you say it's a private members club right and, but they have so much sway they have so much power in oh, today's culture and public opinion even like even presidential elections even elections here like they're so swayed by social media has a huge pull um, and it's actually been Compromised by Russians, yeah. like Russians, the Russians have got some compromised. Bricks like that, Aaron Banks, prick. Is that him? The guy that Aaron, Aaron with Banks. The, is that not a hard one? Might need to go back. Ah, oh, do you know what? But, I can't be asked calling anybody after what, What's what's going on? Aye, now is that funny that he is the co-founder of the Leave EU campaign. Previously, one of the largest donors to the UKIP party and helped Nigel Farage's campaign for Britain to leave the EU, and he's under criminal investigation. Because um, the EU gave Nigel Farage 24 hours to explain Aaron Banks funds. He gave £450,000 funding to Nigel Farage after the Brexit vote. Yeah. Fuck you off, man. Honestly. Faces but, criminal inquiry over Brexit campaign. <coughs> Square go, Aaron Banks. Kind of name's Aaron Banks anyway. Do you know, have you ever heard his daughter? Robin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. She's probably a dafty as well. Um, uh, aye, so, aye, although, as you say, it's a private members club, it's a, it's a private, it's a private organisation, they still have so much sway in today's culture and today's society that to remove people's voices on it is, based, there's an inform, there's, we're involved in an information war, that's what this is, aye. that we're involved in, there's a war, it's worldwide, it's not just here, Brexit is, a, is an information war and people are using these public communications to attack the other side they are manipulating facts uh, they 
have you seen have you seen that app that you can actually see we're talking about being catfished earlier on faking tweets faking tweets that faking, is dangerous faking tweets faking people's voices so they make them actually say things they never said also faking voices and also videos where you can manipulate it's like a voice. Aye, so it looks like Barack Obama saying that he believes in like sort of right wing views and stuff I've seen Man, that the information age is fucked I say honestly take us back to Game Boys five channels on the TV no Takes back to pre nineteen ninety seven, pre Channel Five, four channels on television. That's all there was, and then remember when the TV was done, and it was just like all oh, fuzzy. Take us back to that simplicity. Because I think life is just so much simpler. Like my grand just gets up, like has a breakfast, walks a dog. Like she doesn't know any of this. The shit, shit exists. Going on. Like, do you know what I mean? In a way, our mind has been comp- our minds have been completely polluted by it. It's funny when like older people say they'll be like, oh, I am. Um, yeah, Julie over the road. Uh, she, uh, her, and her husband they split up. I don't know who the fuck Julie is, right? Don't you be putting that on Facebooks? Right. <laughs> first of all, first of all, first of all, why are you pluralizing Facebook? It's what well, Facebook, yeah. and why nobody gives a fuck about Julie and her husband? Like, that's sort of, they, they, they genuinely. Facebook has turned it. It's weird how Facebook's became like a kind of. It's like dies and it's like. I don't know it's it's kind of it's not even our generation anymore like, the generation before us has taken twi- like Facebook off us as I. Like, we'll have that you'll no good like, like, we'll we'll no, cust- kind of be trusted with that we'll be the custodians of this fa- uh, Twitter's like if you're underground fight club Twitter is like bare game full of criminals is uh, that how you say that bare game, seen, was bare it game. someone was it Frank or someone on one of your previous podcasts has said Twitter is like the like a bog like a bog wall people just writing you know he's going like such and such sad such, such and Aye, such who was it said that was, that on your, it was on your podcast it was, it was. was it Melly? I can't remember only have a, it was Sunday anyway. show your face wherever you were anyway um, we'll round up because I need to go to Silverburn and buy stuff for Ibiza but um, any what you add keep it snappy uh, keep it snappy when was the last time <laughs> that phrase was used hello it's 1992 on the phone they weren't a part of it <laughs> No, Nothing. my main my main point in the first part is that you love criminals. Yeah, no, I, I know. I was I'm really trying for that not to come across. You're obsessed with criminals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a criminal. Wasn't it? That's another wee bit I do like when jokes. It wasn't. It was. It couldn't have been my client, you know, because it was. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. Uh, but no, uh, I, the, the main points I would make from the first part is we are hum- like we are humans I'm saying that as if I am a criminal defence lawyer I'm not again I'll, I'll emphasise that point uh, I'm not but there's still a human element to it as well from both sides mm-hmm. uh, and people have got to remember that uh, and everyone has the same human rights and my point on freedom of speech is I think it's important to listen to all spectrums mm-hmm. uh, all sides of the political spectrum and just removing people from the conversation is is dangerous and it's not healthy for public debate I dare say there would be exceptions to that but I do agree with that you know there are, there are certain exceptions that would have to be but that's a whole other conversation about who defines the line of acceptability exactly. uh, but, um, at the moment Twitter's drawn that line and it's, it's bloody and it's grey and it's I feel like I just want to just ditch all like just go to that life of simplicity I think I will but because I've got this podcast it's like I kind of need to be tapped into social media but I find myself using it less and less because it it dulls the fucking grey matter in my brain. No, is it? Is it? You get more grey matter in your brain, or is the grey matter for you? See, that just shows, right? I used to know that. Yeah. Grey matter is either bad for you, or you need more grey matter. 
don't know. Uh, I'm going to just patch it and just start buying I've tried to, I've tried to patch it so many times and then I just end up back on it. Same. Do you know what it's like? I was going to make a joke, but I was going to say that... You know, I can't. I cannot help myself but get involved in these arguments. I know, man. I actually, like, and I conscientiously make a, a point of saying, right, do not respond to any negative tweets and then... Like within twenty minutes, I'm just like, aye, pure tapping away. I'm tapping away. I don't. Even, I cannot help it. Maybe it's the lawyer in me. I don't know. <sighs> I sometimes feel like I've started to realise that people's shit patter is a reflection of their own lives and how they see themselves. And you know, if they're dead angry and shouting at the world, I'm like, your life is pure shit. Otherwise, you wouldn't be that angry. You wouldn't be that worked up. I know that's like I'm pure. There's always context required in that, I don't know. See, to be honest... It does do some good. Like, you keep in contact with people that you, that you wouldn't normally... I will. I'm, I'm like, meeting pals who I've not seen for three years, right? Yeah. For Canada, uh, South Africa, and for the US. And we're meeting up in Barcelona. And we would never, that would never have happened no. if it wasn't for social media. Do you know what? This is how I would define social media right and I had two definitions or two sort of um, analogies the first one bog war well I said that that's a good one but I said <laughs> that social media I believe in the future will become like cigarettes due to comparison culture and the unhealthy sort of toxic nature of it that once all the the uh, the facts are established about what it does to your brain that I feel that in the future our grandchildren would be like we learned about uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram on school today. I can't believe you was used to do that. It's terrible. 100%. The way that my gran will be like to me now. Aye, but smoking was fine back in the day. And like, why? Well, it isn't fine now. It's pure bad for you. And the other one is, I feel that social media, much like the advent of fire, is a very powerful thing that, when harnessed for good, can can feed you, can heat you up, can you know, help you to, I don't know, you know, do your work. It can help you to progress yourselves as a collective. Or, if it's used in the wrong way, it can burn and damage and destroy everything that it comes into contact with. That's artificial intelligence, just... Oh, and that, that's when I'm... That's when I'm, that's when I'm out. But what, what, some of the positive signs that I see, like the fact that this podcast is even... is is doing as well as it is shows you that people miss that conversation see the fact that Twitter is just that 280 characters and everything's just condensed like totally squashed down into a small package and it's just all these tiny wee things that you're reading <clears throat> but you see more and more people are getting a feel for do you know what's funny as well like it's these long odd it's audio it's not even video we thought that seeing advent like when 3D came out I was like oh that's it everybody's going to be FaceTime each other all the time and they're all going to be and it's not we're going we went back to like conversations like long form conversations where people can express opinions and Aye. articulate opinions rather than just try to but like see when I'm arguing with people which I do all the time just try to fit into 280 tweets Aye. 280 people, characters sorry people will see something they'll be like maybe they're looking for that confirmation bias so let's just say I was like um, oh, Coca-Cola's for arseholes Pepsi's the best and someone's like I fucking you I fucking hate you I can't you fucking hate it's like <laughs> mate you fucking saw what was an arbitrary thought that went through my head and I happened to record it yeah. on a micro blogging website where I'm allowed 280 not even 280 letters 280 characters to, to sort of encapsulate what I think 
used to be 140 as well I remember I just woke I woke up I, see, I woke up one day but I opened Twitter and I had like I could type those I was like what the fuck like, what's going on like, they, like, they started rolling out to people <laughs> and um, I, it's, it's very good that you can get that but I I think I think any sane person would realise that you can't you know attribute um, or define someone's entire existence, character, personality, beliefs, morals, from their and everything page. that I from the Twitter page. Like, if you are, yeah, no, absolutely not. 100%. But sometimes we do. But anyway, this has been brilliant. I hope you listening, if you've made it this far, um, that you enjoyed it. If you've got anything to add to the conversation, you can do it at the Flick group that I was talking about in the intro. Flick is doing really, really well. Um, and it's really interesting and it's putting people together if you want to get in touch with Kenny I will also share these details but his Twitter account handle is just at Kenny Carmichael that's Kenny with an I don't you forget it yeah um, I and if you need to you can tweet us and tell us what you think um, otherwise shut your fucking mouth you don't care about your Twitter as a joke in reference to anyway you, know, you, know, what ta- yeah, you know what I was talking about <laughs> cheers Kenny cheers Breaking rocks in a hot sun I fall for law in a low one I fall for law in a low one I needed money, God, I had none I fall for law in a low one I fall for law in a low one I left my baby and it feels so bad I guess my race is mine